The first presidential debate is this week, so it is time for us to talk about the election. This homily is going to be twice as long as usual, because I am only going to talk about this once, and I need to make sure I can say everything that needs said. I am an obedient son of the Church, and it would be an offense against my priesthood to preach anything from this pulpit that falls short of or goes beyond the saving truths of our Catholic faith. My opinion has no power to save you, and your salvation is the reason for my existence. As such, the entirety of this homily will be drawn from the U.S. Bishop's document, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, and you should only listen to me insofar as I am in accord with the teachings of our bishops. But first, a reply to two common objections. There are those who would say that the Church should stay out of politics, that I should not even preach this homily. Hogwash. Every political decision is ultimately a decision about values. If we do not use our Catholic values to make political decisions, what values are we using? Atheistic values? Satanic values? To say that the Church should stay away from politics is to say that politics is necessarily opposed to Christianity. And if that is the case then literally to hell with the whole thing. There are also those who say that we should not listen to the bishops, that the bishops have lost all of their credibility after the revelations of the last two decades. I am far more sympathetic to this point. But in my experience, the corrupt and the sinful are always cowards, who are willing to bend, break, and ignore the truth to preserve their rotten status quo. Forming consciences for faithful citizenship, however, does not read like an act of cowardice. It is a clear presentation of the perennial teachings of our Church and a sober application of these principles to the issues of the day. Catholics at any point on the political spectrum can learn from and be challenged by an honest exploration of this document. The bishops divide their instruction into three parts. In the first part, they present the doctrines of the Church that impact public policy. In the second part, they advocate for specific policies based on these doctrines. And in the third part, they suggest particular goals for the Catholic voter and politician. This is, honestly, a brilliant approach. The teachings of the Church are absolutely certain, as they have been revealed by God himself through Jesus Christ and preserved and expanded by the Holy Spirit through the Church. We can be confident in the truth of these doctrines. The particular application of these doctrines, however, is somewhat less certain. 
Theoretically, the bishop's recommendations here are debatable, though we will address the advisability of debating them later. And then, finally, the means by which these policy recommendations are carried out in actual political life are the least certain and most debatable of all. So we begin with the certainly true moral and social teachings of the Church, which the bishops tell us center on the respect for the dignity of every human being. This is the absolute core of every political decision a Catholic makes, the value which governs all other values, respect for the dignity of every human being. The respect for the dignity of every human being begins with respect for human life. The destruction of innocent human life is wrong in every case. Abortion, euthanasia, human cloning, destructive research on human embryos, genocide, torture, and the targeting of non-combatants in acts of terror or war are intrinsically evil acts that must always and everywhere be opposed. Similarly, the taking of life in defense of the innocent, such as in self-defense, defensive war, and the death penalty, must only ever be used as a last resort and must be carried out as narrowly as possible, lest in defense of human life we become habitual destroyers of life. Related to the direct taking of human life, are indirect threats to human life, like poverty and disease, which we must also work to eradicate by ensuring that all people have access to food, clothing, shelter, rest, medical care, education, meaningful work, and the necessary social services. There are also the long-term existential threats of climate change and nuclear war, which cannot be ignored or left unaddressed. Beyond life itself, respecting the dignity of every human being also requires opposing offenses against that dignity. Some are offenses against the nature of the human person, like acts of racism or the redefinition of human sexuality and marriage. Others are offenses against human flourishing, like the restriction of religious liberty or unsympathetic policies against migrants in search of refuge or a better life. Still other offenses are economic, such as treating workers as a means to an end, deliberately subjecting workers to subhuman living conditions, and treating the poor as disposable. My friends, these are doctrines of our faith. None of these is debatable. Not one is optional. Human dignity must be respected at every moment, at every level, in every way. As the bishops themselves say, although choices about how best to respond to these and other compelling threats to human life and dignity are matters for principled debate and decision, This does not make them optional concerns or permit Catholics to dismiss or ignore church teaching on these important issues.
after reviewing what our faith teaches us about human dignity, the bishops then move on to specific policy recommendations, which the bishops say come in two forms. Quote, As the descriptions below indicate, some issues involve principles that can never be abandoned, such as the fundamental right to life and marriage as the union of one man and one woman. Others reflect our judgment about the best way to apply Catholic principles to policy issues. Unfortunately, the descriptions are not as clear-cut as the bishops make them out to be. But the bishops do tell us at least two issues are non-negotiable. First, the bishops tell us that abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, and any other destruction of innocent human life should be outlawed always and in every case. This extends to the death penalty, which they tell us can no longer be justified in our country as a form of self-defense. Second, the bishops tell us that, because marriage and family are so central to society, and because the principles at play are so clear, nothing can justify the redefinition of marriage away from the union of a man and a woman. In addition to these two issues, the bishops also seem to reference religious liberty as a fundamental right that allows for no limitation in law. Everything else seems to be the bishops' best recommendation about what laws would look like if they respected the dignity of every human being. These recommendations are given to us in different categories, which, to my eye, are listed in order of urgency. First is the preferential option for the poor and economic justice, where the bishops call for, among other things, economic policies that promote a just wage, workers' rights, and a robust middle class. Social policies that assist the poor to overcome obstacles to finding meaningful work, that care for those who cannot work, and that favor and empower families. Housing policies that are affordable and accessible. And agricultural policies that do not encourage the destruction of excess food. Second is health care, where the bishops reiterate the right of all people to access basic health care. Third is migration, where the bishops call for a path to citizenship for all undocumented immigrants currently in our country, and immigration policies that recognize the integrity of families, the urgency of asylum seekers, and the need for a work program with worker protections and just wages. The list continues with six more categories, containing such policy recommendations as publicly funded scholarships so that poor families can choose faith-based education, reasonable restrictions on access to assault rifles and handguns, active steps to overcome discrimination against women and minorities, global policies that equally distribute the burden of combating climate change, and economic assistance to underdeveloped countries. With the exception of the non-negotiable life and marriage issues, we might ask how binding these recommendations are. The bishops themselves say this, 
The judgments and recommendations that we make as bishops on such specific issues do not carry the same moral authority as statements of universal moral teachings. Nevertheless, the Church's guidance on these matters is an essential resource for Catholics as they determine whether their own moral judgments are consistent with the gospel and with Catholic teaching. I would put it this way. Yes, you may disagree with the bishop's specific recommendations, but I would be very careful in doing so. These are our shepherds, who not only guard the deposit of faith, but are advised by the best political experts the U.S. Church has on offer. These bishops are, in fact, better informed on these issues, theologically and politically, than we are. More importantly, though, we should ask what our motivation is in disagreeing with the U.S. bishops. I will renew my challenge from my political homily last year. Make a list of all the ways you disagree with the U.S. bishops and all the ways you disagree with your preferred political party. If you are more likely to disagree with your bishops than you are with your party, you are thinking more like a Democrat or a Republican than you are like a Catholic. Instead, it is essential that we realize everything we have spoken about so far necessarily fits together. An offense against the dignity of one is an offense against the dignity of all. Our opposition to abortion and our advocacy for the poor, for example, must never be separated or placed in conflict with each other. Otherwise, we will descend into hypocrisy and our efforts will fail. To say this another way, my hope for assumption is that every single one of us would ardently desire every single thing the bishops require or recommend. All of these issues are Catholic issues, rooted in our understanding of the human person and our desire to respect the dignity of all. None of these should be controversial unless we favor our political tribes over our faith community. But even if we are of one heart and one mind with the bishops, what are we supposed to do? How do we carry these things out in the American political system? Well, the first thing we should do is not get too tied to one political party or another. The bishops say, as citizens, we should be guided more by our moral convictions than by our attachment to a political party or interest group. When necessary, our participation should help transform the party to which we belong. We should not let the party transform us in such a way that we neglect or deny fundamental moral truths or approve intrinsically evil acts. Sadly, I, don't, I have very little confidence that this is happening today. If you don't believe me, read about Bart Stupak, Dan Lipinski, or Mark Melosha. Each tried to be a consistent Catholic and was forced out of politics and party.
Maybe John Bell Edwards, the current governor of Louisiana, will survive, but I doubt it. We should always pray for our Catholic politicians. The other thing that the bishops say is that not all issues are equal. Specifically, they say that the threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks life itself, because it takes place within the sanctuary of the family, and because of the number of lives destroyed. That last point, the number of lives destroyed, is worth an exploration. Since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, there have been 60 million abortions in the United States alone. That is more people than were killed by Mao Zedong, Stalin, and Hitler combined. History will not look kindly on our supposedly progressive democracy. Approximately 850,000 of these abortions occurred last year alone. Compare that to the 200,000 people who have died from COVID-19 so far. Obviously, as already stated, every offense against human dignity is important because an offense against the dignity of one is an offense against the dignity of all. But it is no wonder that abortion is far and away the most important issue for the U.S. bishops and has been for decades. I have still not told you who to vote for. And I'm not going to, because the bishop's guidance here is not conclusive. They say, A candidate's position on a single issue is not sufficient to guarantee a voter's support. Yet, if a candidate's position on a single issue promotes an intrinsically evil act, such as legal abortion, redefining marriage in a way that denies its essential meaning, or racist behavior a voter may legitimately disqualify a candidate from receiving support. On my reading, we should probably not be voting for any of the candidates running for the federal or major statewide offices this year. Our political parties have become so extreme, it is hard to find someone who is not promoting a grave moral evil. I do not know what the solution is, whether to abandon our parties altogether or to hold our noses and do our best at the ballot box. I do know that we Catholics have a beautiful and consistent vision for a society focused on the dignity of the human person. And we should be absolutely livid that we do not have any options that fully reflect that vision. We should be storming the field offices of our political parties and demanding that they make room for truly faithful and dedicated Catholics who defend life and the quality of life, who look after the vulnerable in the womb and the vulnerable on our borders. At the end of the day, we would do well to remember that our salvation was never going to come from Joe Biden 
or from Donald Trump, from Lauren Culp or from Jay Inslee. Our salvation is only ever going to come from Jesus Christ. May he reign always and forever.